Bites. You are listening to Marvel's Playlist for New Comics on sale October 28, 2020. I'm Ryan Pagos, aka Agent Dan. And I'm Tucker Tucker, what's going on? Tell me something fun. I'm in Blairstown, New Jersey. Um, I made a jack-o'-lantern last night. Ooh, That's fun. Nice. I, you know, I've mentioned previously I'm getting in a real unprecedented Halloween spirit. Um, yeah, just kind of rolling around in hay, getting bitten by ticks, <laughs> um, like walking around in the woods and fearing a bear attack, the playing all the hits out here in the woods. How you doing? I'm doing great. I was thinking about you because this weekend to get into the Halloween spirit, we watched two scary movies that, mm. uh, ended up being my, the first things that I started talking about when my wife Elizabeth was like, what should we watch? I was like, well, we could watch, I don't know, maybe Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. And she was like, yes, I've never seen it. And I was like, I did like a a cartoon reaction. Uh, So we watched that, which was great. And she enjoyed it, which is good because now I'm still married. Um, And then two nights later, we watched In the Mouth of Madness, which is a 1994 I think 94 John Carpenter movie, Ooh. which I love. It's got Sam Neill and it is gnarly and weird and just a, it's a triple D. That's awesome. I think often of when you and I were in San Francisco and we were driving around in a rented minivan with Matthew Rosenberg and listening to just like various John Carpenter soundtracks and scores That's what happens when movies. you let me drive and control the music. No, that ruled. Yeah. Such a, so fun. Such a great memory. Yeah, it was good times. And I saw, uh, congrats to Matt. He's got a bunch of new books that have been announced recently for us and for elsewhere. And he's one of the good ones. Um, So I'm glad that we'll be talking about him more in the coming months. But we have new comics to talk about this week. Tucker, kick us off. Hey, it's actually a series that Matt has been doing a little bit of work on recently. It's Amazing Spider-Man. This is Amazing Spider-Man number fifty. One, it is written by Nick Spencer with art by Patrick Gleason, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. There are some really, really cool choices. One, I feel like just generally, speaking of Halloween feeling, like this is takes the world of Spidey, takes so many different supporting characters, takes the mind of Spidey himself, and uh, presents it in a really terrifying at times really scary way dr strange plays a big part in this issue in particular it's really great there's also to kind of coincide with that and to coincide with where spidey goes um patrick gleason gets to uh just have a field day on here it is so cool you know some of the best writer artist relationships you just feel like the writer has so much confidence in what the artist is going to do that they just say this is this big, wacky, crazy idea I have, whether that's through character, whether that's through setting, all of these kind of different things, and just says, you, I just get the feeling that Nick is just saying to Patrick, have at it, go. And when you have an artist as good as Patrick Gleason is, that's a pretty safe bet. And the way that he pulls off this issue is just beautiful. Um, really, really glorious stuff. And in particular, Edgar Delgado, obviously one of the best colorists in the biz, brings it in this issue. It's a really, really, really fun read. Heck yeah. All right, let's talk about Black Widow, Widow's Sting, number one, written by Ralph Macchio, art by Simone Bonfantino, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, We do these sort of evergreen uh, one-shot comics every once in a while. You know, if we know a movie's coming at some point, we're going to release something cool that'll help, you know, sate the appetites for more wonderful content. And this one has uh, Natasha going undercover for S.H.I.E.L.D. to get into some hijinks. It's got uh, Silvermane and Man Mountain Marco, two characters that if we ever had a Marvel Universe version of Goodfellas, you would 100% see. I love them. I'm glad they're in here. Uh, And it's, it's great. It's just a great, classic, solid Black Widow story. Totally. Next up, we have Doctor Doom number eight. It's written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Salvador LaRocca, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is an unusual story. It feels like one kind of long, continuous painting in a way. It's kind of a not a linear panel by panel story moment, story beat, story beat. It is way more amorphous. It's way more fluid in the way that one, we're reading um, what uh, Victor Von Doom is writing. So in that kind of way, I think it's paired perfectly because it's almost like we're following his train of thought. And that's realized visually. And where we go, who we see, who we encounter is so, so, so cool. 
you know, Christopher Cantwell, relatively still very new to Marvel Comics. This is an issue that I feel like is a level up for him as a writer. Obviously, Salvador La Roca, legendary artist. He's ever to pull it off. Incredibly, just beautiful stuff. Just thinking about this week alone, shades of what Patrick Gleason is doing, shades of Joe Bennett, kind of Immortal Hulk stuff, shades of so many different things. Obviously, it's all realized in that classic Salvador way. But um, this really feels like... Uh, Christopher Cantwell being an incredible writer and saying, how do I do something purely different and telling the story with that um, hand in hand, you know, not just having a story that is telling you just being like, hmm, what's a fun thing I could do with the comic this week, but really, really marrying those two ideas and letting them come forth as a unified whole. It was a beautiful, beautiful read. Heck yeah. All right, let's go to Fantastic Four Antithesis, number three, written by Mark Wade, art by Neil Adams, colors by Laura Martin with Andrew Crossley, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Um, this one sees the Fantastic Four trying to help uh, a depowered Galactus, now known as his regular name, Galen, and the Silver Surfer from fighting Antithesis, who is just this big, bad, doing terrible stuff across the cosmos. And... They get the power cosmic, and I think what I really dug was how the power cosmic on top of the Fantastic Four's powers is portrayed and explained in the way that is sort of laid out. I think it's a really neat thought process of what would happen if these characters got this extra bunch of power, especially the Sue Storm, what happens with her. I think that's really neat. Uh, but the end, the last page is like a big like, whoa, moment uh, as the series is going to conclude next issue. I really dug it. Oh, yeah. Speaking of last page being a whoa moment, Oof. oh yeah. Next up Oof. we have Immortal Hulk number 39, written by Al Ewing with pencils by Joe Bennett, inks by Roy Jose and Bellardino Bravo, colors by Paul Mounts, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. One, I was so excited, really from issue number one, knowing that it was somewhat inevitable to see what this team was going to do with the leader. Seeing where they've taken that character is um, so perfect for Immortal Hulk. It is so cool. Then two... Because this issue is so impossible to explain, I'll just sum it up by saying every kind of moment of body horror that you've loved from uh, this entire series, every time where that has felt like uh, a punctuation on a bit of story or a story beat or something like that in an issue, this is what feels like an entire issue of those moments. Nonstop. It is crazy because it is literally... Not even worth talking about with words. You just have to witness it for yourself. I'll stop there, but it is insane. All right, now I'm going to roll straight into Runaways number 32. It's written by Rainbow Rowell with art by Natasha Bustos. So good to see Natasha on this book. Colors by D. Kunif and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Man, oh man, I just love this series doesn't get any more complicated than that i just have such warmth in my heart for this book for these characters for the way that rainbow uh, puts them on the page it is just glorious look we came out of everything that happened with doc justice and the j team that impacted the team in a, a the runaways in a really big way uh, and now we're kind of uh, moving into a new chapter here, and it's one I'm so excited about. It's also really cool because um, Gib, who got involved recently, is now kind of becoming more and more involved with the group. Uh, that dynamic is awesome. Uh, the way that uh, these different characters play off of each other, new and old, is just the best. There's a sequence at the start of this book that is just kind of entirely in silence and it's just uh you know images and um, movement of the the team in reflection mode uh and kind of on their own just thinking and um, being quiet and it was beautiful uh, that's what's so special about this book and this team is that um you can really have those those moments with so much heart um and in, in such quiet ways but it it just works. It just works. And, and that is a huge credit to Rainbow and Natasha and uh, everyone involved. I particularly love these colors in this issue. I think it just really, really, really works. But we're heading in a direction that, in my opinion, is insanely delightful. Uh, so exciting. So much fun. Uh, if, I'll just say, if you've ever wanted to see um, a couple of these characters uh, back in high school... 
than tune in. Uh, but uh, as always, I will shout this from the rooftops just like I do all the time with Immortal Hulk. And I could think of a book more different than Immortal Hulk. Nevertheless, what they have in common is that if you aren't reading them, read them right now. Yeah, it, it is bananas. Another bananas issue is Savage Avengers. Issue number 13 out this week, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Patch Zercher, colors by Java Tartaglia, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, the Savage Avengers squad in here is terrific. So it's Conan, of course, uh, with Doctor Strange, Magic, Electra, Wolverine, Hellstrom, Black Widow, and Doctor Voodoo. Just like, wow. You, <laughs> you let Jerry go wild, and this is what happens, and the issue opens with them on the moon having a conversation because... They think that this is the only place they, they can go to hide themselves and their plans from the evil, evil Kulin Goth. Uh, then it transitions over to a scene of uh, post-coital Conan in a bed with a whole bunch of ladies, and it's just wild. He ends up fighting a Shumagaroth-like uh, monster and then gets back in bed with the ladies and has the, one of my favorite reactions after that, it's Black Widow because he's telling the story to all his new friends. And Black Widow is like, we're just skipping over that he went back to bed after killing no. a, a, a <laughs> like horrific elder god nightmare. Yes, yes it's great. Uh, this issue is jam-packed with amazing stuff. There's an interaction between Wolverine and Bats the ghost dog in Doctor Strange's house, which I really, really love. And a full splash page look at Shumagaroth, the giant nightmare monster, which... Man, it's so cool. I I love I love every time we get Shumagroth, and there's been plenty of it in Savage Avengers. Oh yeah. Uh, all right. Next up, we have Shang Chi number two. It's written by Gene Luen Yang, with art by DK Ryan and flashback art, and this one by Philip Tan, colors by Sebastian Chang, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I think Gene is just doing such efficient, such smart work with this book by telling these kind of concurrent stories, like I mentioned, the art and the flashback art, because it gives you the uh, a sense of the mythology that is so intertwined with this character, but it also allows you to get to know this character in a very contemporary, very emotional, very human way. Um, I felt like I knew what this book was going to be. And then there are a couple moments start to drip dropping in and it feels like it's going to become bigger and bigger part of the story. It's directly tied into who this character is that I think is completely out of left field, totally unexpected and so cool. And the way that it's visualized in particular is beautiful. Um, shout out to Sebastian Chang because there's some skies in here, some backdrops that look just like real watercolors. I'm not really sure what medium... Um, Sebastian uses, but it is beautiful, and the way that it feeds into the story itself is just really, really awesome. It makes me even more excited for a book that I was already stoked about. Yeah, and I've read ahead on scripts. It's uh, it's great. It's really awesome. good. All right, let's go to the last issue of Spider-Man Noir, issue number five, written by Margaret Stoll, art by Juan Ferreira, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Um, man, we've been talking about this for a couple months now. Juan doing just incredible work as the the full artist uh squad in and of himself this one has got crazy layouts lots of two-page widescreen action you know panels flowing some some unorthodox ways to tell the story and it works every single time the other really cool thing is most of this issue is shades of black and white and gray in in terms of color with just the only really colors for the most part for like 90 percent of the book are pinks and reds and like those colors that really they just pop off the page it looks wild it's cool it's uh spider-man noir fighting a bunch of resurrected villains as well as electro and basically trying to save the planet the universe from from big bads while also throwing quips and being a total badass and it's it's great it wraps up the story sets them off in a place where hopefully we'll see lots more spider-man noir oh yeah all right, now a quick jump over to the world of Star Wars with Star Wars Dr. Afra number five. It's written by Alyssa Wong with art by Maria Cresta, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I think Alyssa is doing such an excellent job at building out her version of this character, her supporting cast, the adventure story that she's sending Afra on, that at times I almost forget that I'm reading a Star Wars book. And that's a huge compliment because I think it's just 
it does such a good job of being what it wants to be, of going in its own direction, which is a youthful angle on Star Wars. It's a youthful version of these various underbellies, the places that these characters are going, the adventures that they're going on, the way they talk to each other, all of those different things. It is so specific, and I think it works so, so well. Um, and I just love that we're doing our own thing. We're with new characters. Ronan Tag is becoming a bigger and bigger part of the story, which I love. That is a character that you knew was a hit from page one of issue one, and uh, we're leaning into that in such a great way. And the fact that we're not tied up in Jedi business, the fact that we're not tied up in legacy character stuff, the fact that you know all those things which I adore and go nuts for when they pop up in other books... But I just so appreciate the courage and the boldness of vision that Alyssa and the entire team bring into this book to say, no, this is what we're going to do. This is our story. We're sticking to it. And then when those moments of emotional payoff come, they feel even more earned. It's even more impressive. It's so, so cool. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'll shout for the, from the rooftops for this series. I think it's great. Yeah. Another great series is Strange Academy, issue number four out this week, written by Scotty Young, art by Umberto Ramos, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This issue sort of opens with a game of tag, which is really fun because it allows us to just explore all kinds of fun magical realms and see the characters in, uh, in all kinds of ways. Strange Academy, super fun book about you know Marvel's magic school, and we're building out the characters really in this issue uh, increases a bunch of the mysteries and sets up a whole bunch of things that I feel like are going to mean a lot for the rest of the series and for where our characters go. This also introduces Cat Beast, a character I, I really, really love and I think is going to be a fan favorite. Um, but there's the sense of impending danger and horror is a, a little too much maybe menace for the characters, which I think is great. That's kind of the thing I love about a, a lot of stories about kids that I watched and read as a kid. It's like there was a lot of danger. Um, and I think that's, it's a cool tone to give to this book, especially because I mean, they are dealing with nasty, nasty stuff. Great book. Oh yeah. All right. Big one. Now oh, boy. to wrap it up this week, we have 10 of swords stasis. Number one, this marks the halfway point of this enormous, excellent, wonderful mind blowing crossover. Uh, it's written by Jonathan Hickman and Teeny Howard with art by Pepe Larraz and Mahmoud Asrar. Colors by Marte Gracia and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, this issue now is uh, really, really incredible. The thing that really strikes me is that whether you're going through the story itself, whether you're looking at the kind of information pages as you go throughout the books, the level of detail here is unbelievable. The way that they go so above and beyond with every single detail, and I say they because I mean Jonathan, I mean Teeny, I mean the artists on this book, I mean Jordan and the entire ex-editorial staff, but I really mean everyone who's working on Ten of Swords because there's been so much conversation, you really can feel it, how much this has been a collaborative effort and how much everyone's efforts have enhanced everyone else's and how you know everyone I think realizes that this is a special time and this is a special story to be told and so it's worth that effort it's so cool to this point for the first 10 chapters of Ten of Swords it's kind of in the most broad strokes there's been so much stuff going on whether that's individual series or Ten of Swords uh, the crossover uh, the first 10 chapters in the broadest terms I think were about bringing together the the X-Men, the Krakoan side of, you know, those 10 champions, their swords. This issue does a ton of work for the Iraqi side of uh, the equation in terms of having conversations that we've never seen before. Characters, I don't even know if we've heard talk before for the first time. We get a lot of new insights into characters like Bay the Blood Moon, Pog or Pog. Pog or um, Pog. Oh, yeah. Uh, Red Root, the Forest, uh, uh, Iska, the Unbeaten, Death, Wart, so much. Uh, it's really, really, really awesome, not just to get to know these characters, but to continue to dive into the world building, continuing the story of Apocalypse, which continues to just be this crazy roller coaster of emotion. Um, One of my uh, favorite panels of any book this week is a shot right like second to last page of the book where Apocalypse, you can feel like the floor fall out from under apocalypse yeah. you, you, and it, it's a really close-up panel it's wide and there's this like business to the side of him and it's just you, like you you hear the breath escape his body you see like 
the look in his eyes. It is masterfully done. It's it just it's a simple, very simple panel, but man, it just emotionally is devastating. I completely agree. I I feel totally incapable of talking about this issue on my own, but if you're not reading, you got to get reading. These issues are just something else. Like I said, the the work that they're putting in to tell the story, but to tell the story beyond the story, behind the story, that there are stories you can just feel it that enhance the richness of this story for every single character. It is really, really incredible. And at its best, I think this is so what's so hard to do so often is uh, it combines the history of so many of these characters, like Apocalypse, like some of the X-Men, and just makes this fit in so perfectly. With new things you're learning about them, it just works beautifully. Can't say enough about it. It is incredible comics. Yeah. Uh, the first half is sort of like this this build, 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 build. Mm-hmm. We get to this plateau here of like, all right, the wind just dies down. And next week, we're going to get into chaos and bloodshed yeah. and mayhem. I can't wait. It's so good. Oh, yeah. <sighs> all right, Tucker. Uh, what do we got in terms of collections this week? All right, collections this week include Amazing Spider-Man by Nick Spencer, Volume 9, Sins Rising, Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, Marvel Select, Dawn of X, Volume 9, Defenders, Masterworks, Volume 7, Empire X-Men, Fantastic Four, Epic Collection, At War with Atlantis, Heroes Reborn, Iron Man, Iron Man 2020, Robot Revolution, Force Works, and I, Wolverine, Iron Heart Meant to Fly, Star Wars, From the Journals of Obi-Wan Kenobi, Star, Birth of a Dragon, and The Marvel Art of Savage Sword of Conan. Yeah. Uh, and then in Marvel Unlimited, we've got a bunch of Empire books in there now, including Empire Avengers number one, Empire X-Men number one, uh, Empire number two, uh, third issue of the Wolverine series. Lots of good stuff. And remember, now Marvel Unlimited gives you the books three months earlier than previously. So the stuff that is hitting now in uh, comic shops, the books that we're talking about uh, in about three months, you get them in Marvel Unlimited. It's pretty, pretty cool. And on Marvel Unlimited, you can, of course, read our Reading Club selection, which is Maximum Carnage, and we are here to talk about it with Mr. Mark Basso, who is also going to tell us a little bit about uh, working on some Marvel and Fortnite stuff. Let's talk to Mark. Mighty Mark Basso, welcome to Marvel's Pull List. How you doing, brother? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Hope you guys are all right. I was going to ask, uh, have you had a, a haircut during uh, quarantine? But you Ooh. have long, lustrous hair. You've always had long, lustrous hair. <laughs> it looks fantastic. I wish our listeners could see it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, I have not had a haircut. I mean, I was avoiding it when it was a thing to go to the haircutting place. So it's like now that it was more like risky, it's like you better believe I'm taking that for all it's worth. So uh, <laughs> keeping it long. Keeping it long. Mark. Today we're talking about a, a bunch of different things that have like a, a really, I think, unique and different hook to them. But one of those elements is Maximum Carnage. Oh, yeah. Could you, just to kick us off, because that's the, chronologically, the earliest book we're talking about today. We're talking about a bunch of different things. Because of all that, could you tell us about your Maximum Carnage origin story? Oh, yeah. I mean, Maximum Carnage is, is one of my favorite comics of all time, which uh, I find shocking that a lot of people don't agree with me when I say that sometimes. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I got into Spider-Man probably later than some other superheroes, you know, but um, but Maximum Carnage, the game kind of brought my attention really to um, I was already a Spider-Man fan at that point, but to that kind of side of, of Spider-Man with, you know, obviously Carnage and Venom and, and those kind of those kind of characters. And one of the things that was so cool about that game was, um, you know, if anyone doesn't remember and never played it, is they actually used Marvel Comics in the game. And I think it was one of the things that made it feel so, uh, you know, legit to me at the time because um, it was actually panels from the, the comic book storyline that they used within the game and kind of an early version of, you know, motion comics or, or uh, digital comics in a sense that balloons would populate on panels and things like that as you went through. And the storyline was legitimately based on the comic storyline. It wasn't like we're making a movie of this, we're making a game of this inspired. It was it was directly linked. So I thought that was so cool. Um, so I was into comics by then already, but this is the one that really put fuel on the fire, so to speak, because um, 
because this was probably you know a year or so after the comics were published mm -hmm. trying to find all 14 parts and putting it together so it became not only the story but it became this kind of like quest uh with it so um it, it kind of a huge part of that you know 94 95 time frame for me i was looking at um about the game and it's interesting for a number of reasons one Carnage's first appearance is in February of 1992 in Amazing Spider-Man 361. Maximum Carnage begins one year later in March 1993 in Spider-Man Unlimited number one. So the character is introduced, becomes a phenomenon immediately, and then gets a full crossover built around him being a villain. And then one year after that, the game is released in North America in September of 1994. So that trajectory to me is incredible for this character Carnage. And the other important thing to note about the game is that it uh, had music by Tucker's favorite band, Green Jello, later called <laughs> Green Jelly, with the umlaut <laughs> on the Y, which I don't understand what's going on there, but it is so good. They did the soundtrack. Uh, there's also like a Black Sabbath song in there. Like there's so much really neat stuff around the mythology of the story and, and, and sort of the history of it. So I'm really glad you actually picked this one. Cool. Mark, you work on a bunch of different books. You've done a bunch of work editing comics that are tie-in comics or comics that are um, like you've worked on the League of Legends comics. Uh, you've worked on a bunch of the Gamerverse stuff. Uh, are you working on the Warhammer? I am. There you go. So like a, a bunch of those different kind of things. So you have this experience of kind of bridging these worlds or uh, going across media sometimes, things like that. When looking at maximum carnage could you talk to that idea of like you know this is a, a way more like you mentioned this is a way more kind of direct translation of comic to game but using that as a jumping off point and then looking at that sub subject as a whole is that something you think about is that something that just kind of comes naturally is that something that is you know you know comes mo mostly from the writer is that just a, a thing you shepherd um, what kind of challenges does that present and what kind of opportunities does it present at the same time? You know, kind, kind of all across the board. Um, so, so depending on the exact project, it always goes in a different way, but obviously so many of our Marvel comics are, are, you know, named after a lead character. And one of the reasons that works so well is because, you know, like any story, there's usually some character that you're, you're focusing in on, you're relating to, you're kind of understanding their, their arc most specifically. So, you know, our, our comics are, are 20 pages, an issue which is a good amount to get into story, but also a limited amount, you know, like populating with too many characters can make it challenging. So, I mean, to talk about something like um, like Warhammer is a great example because um, Warhammer is a massive universe and a huge amount of discussions at, at the beginning was, well, what do we do? I mean, um, working with Warhammer is literally a whole other universe. Um, so, like, something like Maximum Carnage is funny because you know, it is a Spider-Man story, a Carnage story. So, you know, going back to the comic, it's really about Spider-Man and about Carnage. Like, those are your two primary tracks you're following. And in kind of a way that I'm, I'm sure someone picked up on when the discussion of the video game came up, characters kind of pile in as you go. I mean, you still have the, you know, the good and the bad side, essentially, but it all really escalates. And in a very kind of game-friendly way, um, you, you pull in all these other ancillary characters, Cloak and Dagger, and then you bring Demo Goblin back on the, on the villain side. And again, that was another fun thing about collecting those comics, because so many of those characters, I was introduced to them through that. I didn't know who Iron Fist was before I read that. I didn't know who Cloak and Dagger were. Um, but it was, it was done in a really natural way that's, um, you know, everyone had their own kind of specific role to play in this larger story. Um, Spotlight still stayed on, you know, Spider-Man and Venom eventually. He's kind of the, the second escalation there. Um, but but there's it, it's such a wider field of people that, uh, again, it was, makes it fun for a comic and cool for a video game feature to bring in your, you know, your compatriots for the battle. Um, Mark, I want to talk about something that you mentioned because you were talking about reading Maximum Carnage and getting introduced to characters like Iron Fist and characters like Cloak and Dagger. And I think that's a really important piece of this whole thing. And, and the importance and kind of why I think we're talking about this is um, how these types of stories or certain stories bridge gaps for readers, for players, how we 
think about all these stories you know a marvel universe story like maximum carnage is one thing so you start to bridge out and you're like oh who's that guy before we get back into maximum carnage i want to think about some of the other titles you know like Fortnite and conan and how they are you know these big huge franchises that exist outside of marvel and we are using them and they're using us in really great ways to come together and, and bridge fandoms. Um, what, what kind of challenge is that for you? You know, when you're thinking about creating story out of these, that is going to benefit a Marvel comics reader as well as a fan of whatever property it is. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, the authenticity of something, especially in the comics that people really respond to uh, kind of across all those things you mentioned. So um, the Fortnite Marvel partnership is, is obviously a really huge one. Um, you know, if anyone doesn't know about it, the uh, you know the Marvel characters are appearing in the Fortnite game right now. Um, you know, via uh, all kinds of skins and uh, additional content that are, that's within the game. Um, so when when I was first brought into to that project, uh, you know, the, the game part of it was underway, but the idea was, could could we do some kind of a comic intro to the game? And, you know, again, my mind immediately goes like Maximum Carnage, you know, 25 years ago, thinking about how cool that was. I'm like, yeah, but the authenticity of the story was was kind of the thing that drove us doing that. Not to just throw a, you know, comic-esque panel to make it seem like we're putting a comic veneer on that. I mean, you know, Fortnite doesn't need that. Um, Fortnite is, is obviously a hugely... Uh, you know, amazing game and has a huge fan base. It's it's not it's not about doing something just to polish up Fortnite. It's about doing something that's really additive and, and different. And um, that's what was kind of so cool about talking with everybody at, at Fortnite, from um, you know from Donald Mustard um, down to, to everyone who worked with Zach and Paris and everybody on the team, because um, they really wanted to do something special that was you know not that that coat of paint, but a real Marvel comic and a real game experience. Um, so we talked about different ways to approach the comic. And eventually we hit on the idea that Galactus was coming, a looming threat in their game. And Thor was leading Galactus in the ongoing Thor comic. And we thought, hmm, that's kind of a nice bit of synchronicity right now um, that we could tap into. And not only is it real, uh, a story we could do is true Marvel continuity, it's actually current Marvel continuity. So it kind of evolved from there. So, so once that germ of the idea was in, we obviously went directly to Donny Cates, who's been writing Thor and doing an amazing job. And he was totally on board for building a story that fit within his existing story. So it, it kind of branches out from uh, pages within his comic. Um, you know, Greg Land, uh, Jay Lyston, and Frank D'Armato is the art team on it. And obviously they're familiar names to, to you comic folks out there. So um, it was a, you know, thoroughly Marvel comic through and through. So yeah, we, it, was, it was all kind of built as a bridge, respecting the authenticity of both sides of it. Yeah, um, one, one thing I want to note is that for one of my other shows, This Week in Marvel, we have Donald Mustard coming on the show really soon. I don't, you know, we record these things and I'm not sure exactly when things release, but having great conversation with Donald about the, like, the story and how important this, you know, partnership sounds like such a businessy businessman word, <laughs> but like how the story is so crucial to everything that Fortnite is working on and how it ties into what we're doing. And what, what I love, love, love about what we're doing right now in these stories that you're working on with Fortnite and Conan and, and like other stuff that we do is how they are so wrapped in wonderful ways in Marvel continuity. So you could look at the history of Marvel comics and you will like go through and there's a time period where Cool and Goth has returned to the Marvel Universe, and he is a terror, and, and Conan is fighting him alongside Doctor Strange and Elektra and Wolverine and, and Doctor Voodoo and all this stuff. But Conan's not a Marvel character. But we have come upon this way to tell these stories and do these cool things. And what you were just talking about with Fortnite, where Galactus, in, in this moment between moments of a grander story that we have been telling, Galactus and Thor and all these Marvel characters take part in this incredible event it feels so special it's got to be really fun for you mark to to be able to not just do these stories but do them in a way that has a lasting effect oh it's a thrill and it's an honor i mean it's so exciting to be involved in any of this stuff to be honest with you i mean again playing those video games and reading those comics as a kid to help bring them to life for someone else is a massive honor so um yeah, I mean, I'm appreciative of the whole thing, and, and I'm, I'm glad it sounds like it's landing with, with readers and players out there right now. 
at Marvel HQ, when you're talking with other editors, what are the conversations like when you talk about, let's open this up to a new audience, let's make this totally accessible for someone who's literally never opened a comic book before in their life, um, and, and also make it readable and enjoyable to someone who's been reading, you know, every week for 20 years. What are those conversations like, and how does that hit pay dirt in a way? You know, like when you're actually having conversations with writers and artists, what are the notes you find yourself giving? What are the conversations you end up having with the creative team on making that, you know, a, a, a real thing? What's that like? Yeah, I mean, it's complex, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, like to go to the Fortnite story, I mean, we had so many conversations in the early stages, probably more than we would, I'd say, on, on your average, you know, comic, because now there's the, okay, well, well, you know, we do want to make sure this fits in with the game storyline that they've already built. We do want to make sure this is absolutely natural to the Thor comics that, that Donnie and, and Nick and everybody are doing already. Um, so so there is there is so much more of a, uh, I guess, meditated planning section, those those calls. I mean, we had so many calls with, with Donnie and the Fortnite team um, before he put fingers to keyboard or wherever you'd say, writing that script. I mean, it was, it was a lot of discussion making sure this all worked. And, um, you know, the logic behind it all made sense. Um, you know, if anyone plays Fortnite, you know that you're, you're dropped into the island in, in kind of a combat situation. And one of the challenges that Bill and the, and the games team and, and, and Donald and everyone brought, you know, up to the front was to have Marvel characters involved. Well, for the purpose of the game, you need to have Wolverine fighting Storm, for example. But that doesn't necessarily make sense in the Marvel Comics way. And the idea that when you're on this island, uh, you don't have your memory gave us that kind of story reason to make that possible. You know, they, all the characters retain their powers and their abilities, but they don't necessarily know who's friend or foe, so they're kind of learning that uh, as they go. So, so that became a huge uh, component of the comic um, that we're able to make fit in again with the ongoing Thor story, but a way that twists it that says, okay, this is exactly why these characters can interact in this way when you get past the comic and into the game. Um, so there's just so many, like, different uh, components to think about when, when you're when you're putting something together like this, that um, the talking through it, like you said, is a, is a huge part of it. Yeah. Fans get their hands on the Fortnite X Marvel Nexus War Thor issue. Uh, it's available digitally. You can check it out on the Marvel app, on your Comixology app. Um, definitely check it out. Uh, so that's really cool. We do have to talk about Maximum Carnage, the storyline, a little bit more. You talked a little bit about why you chose this, why it's important to you. For you as an editor, have you been part of these massive, sprawling, 14-part, five-title crossover-type stories before? Uh, well, yeah, and I'm in the middle of one right now with Ten of Swords, uh, which is a 22-part, you know, beating Maximum Carnage by, by <laughs> what is that, a whole third or whatever you'd say. So, you guys are so, insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. well, it's it, it's insane. I mean, thankfully, there's um, you know, there's a huge uh, camaraderie and rapport with that group because man, that is that is a lot of issues, that is a lot of books, and that is a lot of different creators. I mean, um, art side, writing side, everything. I mean, it, it's it's been a huge undertaking, but one that I think is 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 has been really well worth it, and I think uh, readers are going to find really pays off because um, in, in kind of the same way, it brings in, you know, in the X world all manner of, of, of uh, characters, themes, uh, aspects that you love about that in a way that's kind of greater than the sum of the parts in, in many cases. Can you talk about the difference between, you know, maybe something like a Conan book or something like that and working on that, a linear kind of story with a kind of central figure, and then something like, you know, where you do have to take into account all these different things and a bunch of different creators, does it fundamentally alter like the state of the story itself? Or can you kind of tell a singular linear story like Maximum Carnage in that same way without it getting kind of, you know, muddied up by too many voices? It, what, ultimately, from a story perspective, is it the same thing, just more conversations, or is it a fundamentally different practice? No, I think at the heart, it's the same thing. In essence, you know, each comic book, whether it's a single issue story or part one of 22, uh, or anything in between. Um, our goal, you know, was we're putting this together is for each individual issue to be a complete unit of entertainment, as it's been called in the past. So meaning that you can read that, that comic, whether it's part seven of 14, or part one, or a standalone story, and still get a story out of it, still get enjoyment out of it, and not feel like 
while there may be more to it if you're reading part part seven, it doesn't feel like that thing you read was a waste of time and just some nonsense that only serves a larger machine. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it's all really very similar because um, you know each chapter of Ten of Swords, like any other crossover, we want to be that complete unit of entertainment. And you know I'm, I'm editing Wolverine and X Force, and those stories both um, you know focus on Wolverine in a big way, but not to the exclusion of other characters. And and as the story goes really with, with everybody anyway. Um, but each of those issues we look to build as something that you could read and enjoy as, as it is. And in the same way that, you know, an ongoing Conan series can stay linear, like right now um, in the current round with, with Jim's up writing, we've got a stretch of time right now. Where we're staying in a particular period with Conan and building, as you say, around a central character and, and a central, you know, quest essentially. And it, and it flows very much like, uh, you know, like any, any uh, single character led comic. Um, but, but again, uh, Ten of Swords, I don't think you'll pick up any of those issues and go, none of this makes any sense. It's all gears for something else. It is a story, you know, in and of itself between those two covers. As you started talking, you're painting a picture of yourself, Mark Basso. You're quiet. You're so nice. You're sweet. You're friendly. But you have a darkness inside. You're editing two of the most violent dark comics we have wolverine and x-force your conan stories are brutal at times they are wonderful and, and high adventure but they are heartbreaking and bloody and then you pick maximum carnage what is what is what's at the core of mark basso <laughs> what hurt you to turn you into this, this demonic person well you see when i got possessed by this alien symbiote it really changed the way i, I, I thought about the thing but yeah i mean part of it i think honestly like going back to the the origin story is like one of the cool things about comics is, you know, for me getting into it when I was younger is there was kind of a broader range than like, say, the cartoon versions of, of you know, a Marvel character or any, or any other character. You could go into kind of crazier places and Maximum Carnage was, um, you know, I reread it before this for the first time in years and I have a whole bunch of different kind of understandings of it reading it now from both the story side within the story and the production side but uh but that extra kind of layer of uh that that edginess to it i think was was a lot of fun and a lot of interesting thing about comics not that it really goes especially reading maximum carnage like with a title like that it's it's violent but boy like there's not actually that much blood even in the comics at all like are you reading the same book that i'm reading there's <laughs> it's not there it's not at there. Point, there at one point there's a dude reading a newspaper oh and yeah it's that yeah spears him to get the newspaper and there's blood. There's no, blood there isn't blood. Everywhere. There isn't blood. There isn't blood. It's I, I know the exact county. <laughs> I have this comic practically memorized, and I, and I know the panel you're talking about. And actually, a great one in the game where they animated that uh, that like tendril from Carnage and it moves, but you don't see the blood. It's it's all very much implied, and obviously it got it's, the the effect like out, Carnage's out of Carnage's yeah, it's, it's, it's right. symbiote stuff. I, I'm trying to flip through right now. I'm, I'm trying to find it. I'm reading it. On Marvel Unlimited, where you can too, dear listeners. Uh, it's uh, we actually have a reading list for Maximum Carnage in the Marvel Unlimited app, so you can read all fourteen parts in a row. The point the point you're making is absolutely valid, and it's super violent. <laughs> and why do I like these super violent comics? I don't know. It's just there's just something about them. It's fun. It's 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 exciting. It's it's something you haven't really seen. Um, and speaking of violent comics that I that I work on, uh, Ryan, uh, one of the ones that takes Wolverine to a different level is Wolverine Black, White, and Blood, which is coming out Ooh, next month. Can't wait! And as oh, the title yeah. implies, it's in black and white and a lot of blood. So uh, <laughs> take that, take that for what it's worth. Well, we're going to be talking about that one in in, in short order uh, when that starts releasing. <laughs> I'm very excited for that. Um, let's dive into the the issues for Spider-Man Unlimited because this is. As we've talked about, 14-part crossover. Uh, as I mentioned, it begins in March of 1993 in um, Spider-Man Unlimited Number 1, written by Tom DeFalco, pencils by Ron Lim, colors by Nell Yamtov. Uh, I, I won't go through all the creative teams because, again, 14 issues. There's a lot of creators in these. Um, I probably end up talking mostly about the writers and the, and the pencilers here. But, man, Ron Lim freaking rules i love ron lim so much remember like ron lim at in 1993 had done he was probably at the same time working on infinity crusade uh had done infinity war had done infinity gauntlet probably had done some silver surfer um like leading up to this it's he's just like superstar 
this first issue also is interesting because it takes place after the death of Harry Osborn, a story I read for the first time last year in Spectacular Spider-Man 200, um, which is so great. And it's like eight or nine pages in a row of silence of Peter and Harry going through stuff. And that was such a like an affecting issue and picking up. I, I forgot that it picked up right after that. And then if you think about that now and what's happening in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man, man, it's it's real neat. It's good stuff going on. Uh, Mark or Ryan, where are we? Obviously, Spidey is the biggest thing in the world. And we're getting a book called Spider-Man Unlimited because we need another book about Spidey. Um, but where are we in terms of like how big Carnage is for fans and how big Venom is for fans, especially as we the story progresses? Like, are they as, like, huge, massive staples and, you know, fan favorites at this time? Or are we still kind of relatively new in the lineage? Where where does this fall? So, for Carnage, he's only been around a year. And this is, like, right. his, okay, wow. maybe yeah. his second appearance, like, second story. Yeah. I, I'd have to look, but it's somewhere in there. Because, yeah, there's only been 17 issues between his first appearance in yeah. Amazing Spider-Man and then when Amazing Spider-Man jumps into this story. So, he's such a uh, like a hot commodity and venom had been around for what is this four years five years or so yeah to me it felt like they were so established but i guess some of this is like the thing that really cemented them too to me i was coming to this game late you know like whatever it was six months to a year later that i got it but it was like that was still pretty current and still pretty much the the new kids on the block in a certain sense you know Green Goblin going back, you know, 30 years at that point already. Um, but but Carnage and Venom, you know, a year or two or five. So it, it is strange to think about it that way. Yeah. What What's absolutely wild, too, is that Venom Lethal Protector, Venom's first solo story, is released just months before this. Hmm. So Venom had become so popular that they turned him from Spider-Man's main antagonist for a while into an anti-hero that could carry his own series of books. So he's like booming. And again, Ron Lim right there uh, alongside Mark Bagley. And it's, you know, just, it is amazing. Yeah, that, That's a great point to think about because these times are so important for these characters, but they're not like, they haven't been around for at this point now, 30 years where we're talking about that. Um, what, what is also cool is this is this first part introduces Shriek who is a fantastic character like watching her through this and how she's got these powers and this personality and what she goes through. Like I would, I was like, man, Shriek should have been just as big coming oh, yeah. out of this. Um, she was great. And then the spider doppelganger, which was something I loved being a huge infinity war fan as a kid. Um, yeah. The, this is this first issue is just such a great shot. How difficult Mark is it for, you know, putting these stories together to figure out what to put in the first issue of a giant crossover usually not as hard in my experience um honestly because because so much of the reason you're going to be doing that crossover you you know at least what's going to kick it off um and probably what ends it and you know with maximum carnage obviously it's carnage breaking out of ravencroft um hopefully not not too big a spoiler if you haven't read it but uh (laughs) it's literally uh you know that that's kind of the the impetus of this um but but maximum carnage is so strange and it strikes me even more rereading it again is how built around family it is um both both carnage and his you know warped perception of what his quote-unquote family with shriek and and doppelganger and everybody is and also um you know spider-man's relation to his long-standing family with you know like aunt may and also um, his parents, because because this story takes place during a time when his parents are in there, um, which is makes it kind of an extra, um, I don't kind of strange turn in Spider-Man history, um, but also you know his you know relatively new in, in comics time, uh, Mary Jane, his wife, and and their relationship, and how uh, you know the larger family of you know humanity to get to get real crazy with it uh, g- gets gets off the rails of Maximum Carnage because of um, you know everything Carnage and Shriek are doing. Um, so it's it's kind of funny to, to see that. Um, you know, I can't speak for any of the creators that were involved in, in making this, but it feels very much like that was a, a grounding uh, spine that they used to, uh, you know, not make this a, a gore fest or just a gratuitous violence machine. Um, 
But yeah, yeah, but it's all it's all in black and purple, Ryan. It's not Come purple. On, that, like, it's all pools of man in that issue. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, because yeah, I mean, there is obviously a, a huge amount of violence, but there's also this this kind of heart to it that uh, I definitely feel it gets looked over. I mean, like myself again, revisiting it, kind of discovered it in a bigger way this time uh, than, than last time I read it. Agreed. So the storyline is a crossover between at this point five Spider-Man books, the brand new Spider-Man Unlimited, and then the four, four ongoing Spider-Man titles at the time. <laughs> Web of Spider-Man is next, uh, written by Terry Cavanaugh, pencils by Alex Saviak. Alex Saviak, I loved his work. Really cool dark tones for the storyline work really well here. You get Cloak and Dagger brought into it, and poor Dagger is just, she doesn't fare well. There's, you get your first big you know, like superhero, super villain brawl in this one. And then Venom, like the second issue at the very end is when we first get Venom bringing us into Amazing Spider-Man 378. That is written by David Michelinie, pencils by Mark Bagley, friggin' Mark Bagley. Like what a damn amazing artist he continues to be now over 30 years in the business. And he's just, he's so good. He's the one, he's the, the artist who originated carnage in amazing spider-man as well so it's like it's a very it's great to see him be able to to flex that with him again um one of the things that i pointed out in this i want to know if that anyone has ever done a count of how many people at least an estimate how many people carnage and and, and his family kill in this story oh. it's absolutely horrifying um they're, they're in central park they just jump on a car they rip off the top they just murder the two poor people driving through Central Park. And then we get a, like an aftershot of like six other people. Yes, they're pools of blood that they have just been murdered in. It is wild. It is, it is wild. You know, I feel like that's, a, that's something I should know. I should have, I should have counted at some point, but, <laughs> but I sadly don't know. There's also, it's implied, I believe, that a lot more people are killed that we don't see. Yes. Stuff stays open. New York's still generally going on. There's a whole, there's a whole thing in a nightclub that, that this time was like, okay, Carnage, they show up at the nightclub. But also, shouldn't y'all have not, like, like nobody should have, like, nobody should have been at this nightclub, I would think, if there was, like, a, a crew of, like, you know, four or five serial killers running around. Yeah. Uh, Demo Goblin is brought into this, which Demo Goblin's got a wild history. That's an interesting character we, we can't even really get into. But I like the idea that what you brought up about the family and how not only the family, but also how the story builds and adds characters and adds different things as you go on. Like each issue adds someone or something to the overall story. And so you get this like snowball effect that it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger as you go along. Totally. Yeah. It's one of the fun things about it. And, and, and Demo Goblin having such a wacky backstory, again, as kind of a, a entryway into more complex comics, there's so much to, to, to grab onto in this because you don't really need to know what Demo Goblin's about or what Iron Fist is about really to, to understand this story. But the more you start digging, the more you realize how big the Marvel Universe is. Yeah. Um, we're going to kind of go through the rest of these issues kind of quickly um, just because we've been talking for a long time and uh, we're going to run out of time. Uh, Spider-Man number 35 gives us part four. Uh, which is written by David Michelinie again, pencils by Tom Lyle. Tom uh, gives one of my favorite contributions to the story by giving Eddie his sick, sick mullet in this issue, which I just <laughs> love. Uh, we get a lot of that. Black Cat involved, um, which is good. Then we get into Spectacular Spider-Man 201. J.M. DeMattis, just one of the, you know, one of the greats for Spider-Man, uh, and drawn by Sal Buscema, another one of the greats. The panels in which Sal draws people either getting injured or hurt or losing their minds because of the chaos and, and what Shriek's powers are doing. Yeah. The, he, the way he draws eyes is so captivating and it. Like you was just like drawn right into it. This issue is there's brutal stuff in here. There's a brutal panel of like murder and mayhem going on by the, the, you know, carnage family. That's just wild. As we go along, we get introduced to Carrion and Morbius. We get the club that you mentioned, the deep, uh, we get Deathlock, and Deathlock in this incarnation hadn't been, you know, he's only been around, you know, two years, give or take, something like that. We had read that Deathlock story not too long ago uh, for an episode of Marvel's Pull List, and so he gets brought into here because he was popular. He was a character that, you know, they wanted to, to spotlight on. Firestar brought into here. It, like, just how everything just keeps building and building. It's like, all right, we need this character. Give me this character. I want to use them in this story. It, it gets pretty wild. 
totally. And Deathlock's basically the internet in this story, if, uh, if, if, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. He is like surfing the, the information superhighway or some <laughs> nonsense like term at the beginning when he's first brought in. Totally. Awesome. Yeah. We get into more Spider-Man with a Molten Man shows up who is just like not a super villain much anymore. He's just sort of like a family man who can also turn himself into like a Molten guy. And he's like, I'm going to protect my friends and family. But I'm not going to get involved. Yeah, he doesn't help. Like, that's nope. the funniest part. That was the other thing that stuck out to me this time that, like, totally went over my head before. I'm like, wait, like, they're desperate for people. And he's just like, well, I'm stick, I'm sticking here. You know, it's like, <laughs> the other people are regular humans. You can, you can handle this, man. <laughs> uh, Iron Fist comes in to save Deathlock. Um, when we get into Spectacular Spider-Man 202, which is part nine, really getting into the home stretch of the story, you know, we get into the, it's a James DeMattis, Sal Buscema issue. So it's big splashes, big emotion. Um, but like the heroes constantly getting like undercut by themselves because they are working on working with their morals. They are trying to do good while stopping just the worst of the worst. And it is, you know, it's, it really plays upon um, what it means for our heroes to be heroes. Uh, and you get like this wonderful splash, not even this wonderful page with 12 panels and it's headshots of Spider-Man, Firestar and Venom as um, Firestar is, she couldn't kill Carnage at this point. And Venom's like, do it, do it, do it. And Spidey's like, you can't do it. We don't kill. And Firestar, she's like going back and forth between what to do. I love that. Like the moral stakes of this, the like, it's a battle for her soul. as She even talks about that at, at the end. And unfortunately, they all lose, but has one of my favorite final pages in this storyline with Captain America basically standing there and he's like, can I help you? And he's like, finally, where are the freaking Avengers? Come on, y'all. Get in there. It's it's great. Um, even though, you know, it's just one Avenger. It's Captain America. He does kind of signal like a little bit of a turning of the tide, yeah, which, which is dope. dope. The One of the gnarly things in this is Carnage and the family they roast Venom over a fire in the torch of the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, that is a pretty, thing that we cool. did in Marvel Comics in 1993. It's bananas. Bananas. It's bananas, but it worked out for Venom, I guess. You know, it did. In the long it did. Run, so. um, uh, of course, we get Nightwatch in the storyline with his weird, like, it's like a nano cape, but it's also alive. There's a lot going on. You, you, were you familiar with Nightwatch, Mark? No, I wasn't. And and having played the game first, he was the one character they cut out of the game. I assume for some legal or, or some other reasons, but I, I never knew the story of that. So when I got to those issues with him, I was like, wait a minute, what the heck? And that was just yet another rabbit hole. Yeah, but yeah. at this point, I don't even remember anything about what I've ever looked up about him. Yeah. Um, when I was talking about Shriek at the beginning of the like the conversation about this, like this, the you know, part 11, when Shriek is fighting Spider-Man, Firestar and Deathlock to a standstill on her own, I was like, she rules. But then Captain America basically like adjusts his his like utility belt and then throws a shield and takes her down with one throw. It's, <laughs> it's great. It's um, man. There's so many cool bits and pieces, you know, eventually Venom breaking free, Cloak begging to God for help and salvation because uh, like his like, dagger has been taken away from him. Um, Carnage versus Shriek and the doppelganger. And like this heartbreaking moment where you see the family sort of realizing that, oh, Carnage doesn't care about anyone. He is only in it for himself and for bloodshed and, and like how the family falls apart. The, the creepy things carry on calling Shriek mother. I hate yeah. that. Like, I love that they, that was the choice, <laughs> but it, like, just creeps me out so much. Uh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> it's a great uh, As we're getting, you know, towards the end, um, I like that the big way to fix things is uh, this, like, Kirby-ish machine called the Alpha Magna Illuminizer, because, you of course. You don't have one? I, I wish I did. <laughs> but it looks so cool, and it's this, quote-unquote, good bomb um, where it seems like the heroes have won, and Carrion has cleansed from from the virus that you know hurt him. Demo Goblin has been knocked out. Shriek has been knocked out. Carnage is dead. And then the last bit is Carnage rising out of a pond, like Jason Voorhees, but like way scarier, coming out uh, big time and and coming to to take the fight to Spider-Man and Venom. That's is, one of those moments. 
that's one of those moments you say like this then i was i didn't know how how spoiler i, I should, should get but I'm like that's one of those bits where and spider-man's like no and venom's like yeah because now i get another showdown with this guy yeah and then the the final part is just it's really a very back to basics final issue because mostly it's venom versus carnage versus spider-man black cat gets involved a little bit but it's the core characters that were really the beginning of this. And of course, the friggin' Avengers show up right at the end. <laughs> you know, uh, Thunderstrike. I think he was Thunder. I can't remember if he was Thor or Thunderstrike at that point. Cersei with her, her sweet bomber jacket. They're like, I guess we'll help clean up a little bit. <laughs> you fools. Where were you? Their internet wasn't as fast as Deathlocks, to be fair. So, like, they didn't quite have all the information. No. <laughs> Oh, what a wild story. And you still get a lot more insight into Carnage. Like, I wouldn't go so far as saying that he, he's a sympathetic character, but you get more of him as this thing goes on. You see what he's actually scared of. You know, he's not just a complete killing machine. It comes from a different level of pain that he had to go through, you know, as a kid and all that. So, Yeah, it was really interesting getting his replay of his supervillain origins, but also his like old origins, his origins as a yeah. person, what happened with his family and happened to him back when he was a child i thought that was yeah that's really important storytelling here yeah and, and even even the, the the thing that i that always did stick out to me as a, as a neat twist in that is the things that he doesn't remember uh potentially causing him as much harm as the things that he does like there's very much this sense of him having blocked memories that some of what he's doing is is an attempt to uh you know eradicate from his own mind um it's just something very interesting and and, and sad um that uh, you know, it gives you a different glimpse into this, you know, obviously crazy, crazy killer character, but um, something you don't, you know, always expect. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for, for picking this one and coming on to talk about um, all the cool stuff that you're working on um, and all of your hidden darkness and the, sort of the <laughs> demons inside you. I really appreciate all that. Oh, no, thank you for having me. This is such a blast. I mean, I could talk about Maximum Carnage forever. So, uh, so we'll have to, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah. Right on. You're the man, yeah. Mark. Thanks, cool. Mark. Thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks, dude. Thank you so much to Mark. What a cool guy. Such an easy guy to talk to, and one of those uh, crucial figures for me. When you know, back when walking around the uh, headquarters uh, of Marvel, you see someone like him, and I walk by his office, and I know the crucial work that he's doing. You know, he's just one of those members of the bullpen that you love to stop by and talk to, and you also love to read the books that he works on. Such a great guy, and so fun. Like, yeah. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, MR Daniel, and Megan Bagala. Jildeboff is our director of audio, and Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List audio development manager, and he was actually in Maximum Carnage. He called Carnage mother and uh, died off panel. It was yeah. horrific, Ignominious. but we didn't show it. Yeah, it yeah. A nightmare. <laughs> Pro tip don't call Carnage mother. <laughs> Anyway, I'm Ryan. Oh, and anyway, I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Mother. Mother.